0: Hello and welcome to I Really Wish You Hadn't. This is a podcast about people and businesses that have made horrible mistakes, have fallen apart at the seams, or have just been generally awful since their inception. They're the kind of people and businesses that make you think, man, I really wish you hadn't. Hello, and welcome back to I Really Wish You Hadn't. I'm Michael Bentley, and I'm here with Cayman McMahon, Howdy. And as always, our producer, Colin Moore. Hey, hey. This week, we're going to be doing things a little differently. You see, normally we take a topic, divide up the big interesting pieces between Cayman and myself, and then take turns regurgitating that information back to you, the listener. The issue is, not all of our topics are able to fill a full episode's worth of content. So this week, we're going to be trying something new. Kamen and I each have two topics, and we're going to take turns talking about them. The overarching theme of this week is fast food controversies. So yeah, this week's going to be a little experimental. We're going to see how it works. Uh, Kamen, did you want to say anything before we start, or did you just want to hop into it?
1: I will say, you know, we're going to cover like, I don't, I don't know, like four or five. It's really not important how many we're covering, but you'd be surprised how many there are. <laughs> There's a lot of them. So these are like just some of our favorites. This is by no means like a complete catalog of food controversies. Consider it a best of. There we go. Or worst of, depending on your uh, depending on your context. Well, we can't call it a best of because if we decide to do the rest at a later point, then like that would be like...
0: This is the, this is the B team.
1: <laughs> that would be best
2: of volume two. Okay.
1: Right. Yeah. There we go. This is volume one of fast food controversies. There we go. All right. So you ready to get into it? I'm ready as I'll ever be. All right. So, you know, imagine with me, if you will. Let's kick it back to February 1992, right? Bill Clinton is running for the title of 42nd President of the United States. The LA riots are ramping up following the beating of Rodney King. And Whitney Houston has released her Billboard classic, I Will Always Love You. You know, the one that's like, and and I- I- yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: La la la, la la la.
1: All right, now I have to call it there on the podcast because my fucking ears are bleeding, but great. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. So, February 27th, 1992, 79 year old Stella Liebeck goes to McDonald's riding shotgun with her grandson and orders a coffee. Her grandson parks a car. So his frail little old, like I said, she's 79 years old. Grandmother can add sugar and creamer to her coffee. Now, in the process of taking off the lid, the coffee cup tipped over, spilling coffee into Stella's lap. Now, you've probably heard this story before. The hot coffee burned through Stella's flesh, causing third degree burns over 16% of her body. Now, if you're not a medical student and you want to know your different types of burns, First degree burn is like a sunburn, right? So there's no long term damage. There's not really blistering. A uh, second degree burn, like burns to the top layer of skin to the dermis, which causes blistering and possibly like scarring, permanent discoloration of the skin, depending on how bad it is. Third degree burns completely through the skin down to the muscle tissue or fat, depending on what's beneath the skin at that point. It burns away nerve endings and ends the possibility of skin regrowth, making need for skin grafts. Which skin grafts is where they take skin from another part of your body and patch up your hole, Michael. I'm I'm gonna let patch up your hole go by. I'm
0: not gonna I'm not gonna jump on that one. <laughs> what I do want to ask is, you said it burnt sixteen percent of her body. Yes, that's a weird number. Like. How do you determine how much of your body has been burned? Surface area. Yeah, I would say area. So you—they measured her. They measured her entire body, and they said, "All right, how
1: much is burned of? I, well, like, did they do measurements? And like, it honestly doesn't sound like that difficult. I mean, it's probably not super precise math. I don't, you know, what? it's medical. It probably is super. For precise. sixteen, if it was fifteen, I would let it go. But it's sixteen. Like that's 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 to the ones place. Bye. Nah. I imagine I don't know. Maybe the dermatologist handling that was like, I don't really have anything better to do. I'm gonna do the math on this. I don't. They graduated med school. Hopefully, they can do some pretty basic. Like I don't know, what would that kind of math be? Geometry. This seems fine. It seems fine. You're reading too much into it. Sixteen percent. I don't know.
2: I, of all the things you said, that's what I latched onto. <laughs> but they probably just came to sixteen percent, and it's probably not super precise.
1: Yeah, it's probably like sixteen point three. It looks. It looks about sixteen
2: percent. I mean, no, I mean. I, I mean, I assume that they measured the burnt parts and then they compare that to an average surface area of a person that has her her body type. And then, you know, but that may or may not actually be her surface area. It's probably close though.
1: I'm siding with Michael here. Okay, I think that there are probably a few doctors sitting in the room and one of them said that's about, you know, 15% of her body. And another doctor was like, it's 17% at least. And then they split the difference. difference. (laughs) They're like 16, fine. it, It doesn't really matter she's burnt. (laughs) This is not important now. But yeah, so due to her burns, Stella needed many skin grafts and was hospitalized for eight days. After this, she was sent home where she was placed under the care of her daughter for three weeks while she received treatment for her wounds. Now she had many treatments after that as well. You know, of course, after those eight days leaving and for the next three weeks, she was still in bed. She was still very hurt. She couldn't really do anything. So she was left with massive amounts of scarring and was disabled for more than two years after this incident. Now, why was this so bad? I don't know. I can't I can't figure it out. Well, I'm saying we've all spilled coffee on ourselves at some point and not needed skin grafts. So what made this spill worse? Well, office coffee makers, at home coffee makers and restaurants typically keep their coffee at about 150 degrees Fahrenheit. Which is about the appropriate temperature to start drinking coffee at. Now, it's going to be kind of hot, you know, when you get that fresh cup of coffee in your mouth, whatever. Like, it's, you know, too hot for me, at least. I'm sure that other people are more manly. Other people just can't taste food. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. The people that immediately get coffee and drink it, like, uh, I got to let it sit for a second. Yeah. The coffee that Stella was served that day was not 150 degrees. It was between 180 and 190 degrees. And we know this because the McDonald's operations manual required franchisees to keep the coffee at this temperature, well above industry standards. Now, is 150 to 190 degrees that big of a difference? Sounds like it. Yes, that is a huge difference. You can burn yourself with 150 degree boiling water, coffee, something like that. Um, The big thing is, especially with clothes, you have time to get those clothes off. You have time to wipe it off before it burns you. If you sit there in 150 degree water, it's going to burn you. Whereas 180 to 190 degree, you know, coffee, water, whatever it may be, can cause third degree burns in as little as two to seven seconds. Now, keep in mind that this is a 79 year old woman. You know, your skin by that point is practically paper. Right. (laughs) Well, I mean... (laughs) you're not it sounds insensitive your skin does thin throughout your life he's not wrong maybe a little insensitive but if you look at how the media reported into this incident and still kind of does um you may remember that stella used this incident to try and get rich off mcdonald's that's how a lot of people portrayed it i remember my parents talking about how like stupid this case was like when i was younger But in reality, Stella approached McDonald's with the offer to settle the case for $20,000 before any of the lawsuits started or anything like that. She was like, this is just to cover my medical expenses and compensation for my daughter's loss of income, which was very fair. McDonald's counter offered with $800. Why well, even offer anything at all at that point? Like, <laughs> I know. I mean, it is
0: 1992, but it's it's still it's not the. it's not that like early 1900s. Like, it's not like you can go buy a candy bar <laughs> for a nickel. Like, it's 1992. It's
1: not that different. Regardless. So after this, she retains a lawyer and filed suit against McDonald's for gross negligence. Now, before the trial, as evidence started to stack up, Stella's lawyers, and you know, she has retained lawyers at this point, so it's getting more expensive. So as the evidence is stacking up, her lawyers offered McDonald's two more chances to settle. Once for $90,000, and then for a mediated $225,000. If I was McDonald's at this point, I'd be
0: like, I, I, I see this trending in a direction not
1: in my favor. <laughs> right. You <laughs> should probably take one of these deals. Well, I mean, they hadn't gotten to the trial yet. Maybe McDonald's still thinks that they can, like, kind of you know, brush this to the side or whatever. But then we get to the trial. And I'm going to bring up a few things that happened during the trial. So during the trial, Liebeck's attorneys argued that if the coffee was served just 20 degrees lower than McDonald's recommended temperature, which keep in mind is still hotter than the industry standard temperatures, Stella would have had the opportunity to remove the spilled coffee before any serious damage occurred. So like we were talking about earlier, McDonald's admitted It had known about the risk of serious burns from its scalding hot coffee for more than 10 years. The risk had repeatedly been brought to its attention through over 700 other claims and suits. Wow. So they knew that this was burning people. It's only 700 other claims and suits. I mean, when you serve billions and billions, what difference does that number make? And and really, what difference does that, num-
0: like, when we're talking about temperature, is it really worth the extra heat on your coffee? Like, I get the yeah. idea is like, okay, yeah, it'll your, the coffee will be hotter longer. But is that really that big of a selling point? Like,
1: I don't go to McDonald's because I'm like, man, their coffee's so hot. I love hot McDonald's coffee. Well, here's the thing. And you remember how I was saying before the episode that I did a little field research for this one? Yeah. So I think I'm officially a journalist now, for one.
0: For two, So this is two weeks in a row. I was a historian last week. Now you're an investigative reporter. Yeah, we're in the big leagues
1: now. We're getting credentials. (laughs) So I went to McDonald's, got a cup of coffee, and of course took my handy dandy thermometer with me. So as soon as like they handed it to me, and I'm pretty sure that the lady in the drive-thru saw me and was a little confused. (laughs) (laughs) She thought you were a health inspector. I popped the top and I dropped the thermometer down in there. Right? Uh Uh-huh. 109 degrees. No. And I have pictures to back it up. I have pictures to back it up. So it's still 190 degrees.
0: Cayman, you should have dumped that in your lap and got (laughs) the
1: freaking money, man. God. Well, I mean, that's just ridiculous. Like, And I was, by the time that I'd gotten home, and I I do live relatively close to a McDonald's. It's like maybe seven minutes away. It was still like 180 degrees. Like, I'm not going to drink coffee at 180 degrees. Why would you serve it to me that hot? If I'm coming to the drive-thru, we're going to be real. I'm eating in my car. I like eating in my car. I am not that classy of a person. I want the coffee and I want the coffee then. Anyone who says
0: that they don't eat in their car is a liar.
1: Yeah, I really don't get it. I don't get why you would serve coffee that hot.
0: Now, people who go through the drive through and then park and eat in their car there, that now that's a problem. That's a cry for help.
1: <laughs> you want to hear what McDonald's said about their coffee? Sure. McDonald's quality assurance manager also testified at this court hearing that mcdonald's coffee was not fit for consumption at the time of serving because it would burn the mouth and throat if you tried to consume it which obviously it would mcdonald's admitted it did not warn customers of the nature and extent of this risk and could offer no explanation as to why not so i don't know why you would refuse you would think that if you see this case coming up you would get ready for it At least instead, they're like, no, we don't really have an argument for why we don't express the danger (laughs) of 190 degree liquid that we're handing it to you.
0: Well, and I think that's why this case got blown so out of proportion, right? Because this is whenever they started printing like warning
1: coffee hot on the cup. Well, it's like, no, they already had that, but they said extremely hot. The problem isn't that the coffee's hot. I feel like most people hear about this case and they're like, yeah, it's going to burn you. It's coffee. Coffee is hot. But the thing is, for the most part, we all drink coffee, or at least we know how hot it is. You know the expectation of how hot coffee is going to be when you pour it on yourself. I'm sure that we've all spilled a little bit of coffee on us at some point and been like, ah, shit, that hurts. You don't expect it to burn through your dermis in two to seven seconds. Yeah. Like that is just above expectations. Yeah. So it's like, it, it is gross negligence.
0: It is. No, no, I, I'm not, I'm not arguing against that. It's just, yeah. It got turned into this lady didn't know that coffee was hot. And so or she, she right. pretended like she didn't know that coffee was hot. And that's how she got millions out of McDonald's. Right. Which that's not what it was at all. No.
1: and Like I said, she, I had a completely different mindset about this going in. But I mean, going into it, she only asked for $20,000. Yeah. Just but... to cover the medical expenses. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, this is obviously not a money grab. But regardless, in the end, Stella was awarded compensation for damages of $160,000. And the jury issued McDonald's pay 2.7 million in punitive damages, which a judge did later reduce to 480,000. But regardless, Stella's lawyers and McDonald's reached an undisclosed amount outside of court to prevent the possibility of appeals, just to kind of get like a final number on it. But still, I mean, you know, she got the damages of 160,000, which at that point was mostly probably like lawyer bills. And then the jury issued 2.7 in punitive damages, which punitive damages is like, you did such a bad job. This is what you need to pay as punishment. Mm -hmm. So if that shows you the jury who was hearing the case definitely understood this was on McDonald's. So, I mean, really going to this one thing I really wish you hadn't is that, you know, I wish that McDonald's had a little bit colder coffee. I don't see why it needs to be so hot, whatever Because apparently, as we can see, they haven't fixed it yet. And I guess it's not that big a problem that it warrants them to fix it. But the I really wish you hadn't is the term Stella Awards. So now, uh, whenever there's like a frivolous case or seen as a frivolous case, it has gotten the moniker of Stella Awards based on this case. Which I think is bullshit because this case wasn't even frivolous. And the fact that you've taken her name and you've attached it onto these cases, it, it, it's completely disrespectful. And I think it's dumb. So this was obviously a very real case. Obviously, Stella was in the right here. I hate that her legacy has ended up being a bad thing, but she did pass away in 2004. And that's really all I have to say about that. <laughs> that last note didn't really take us anywhere, but, you know, she lived a long life. Well, she she's dead now. Um, all right. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Just who needs transitions? Who needs transitions? Let's talk about Wendy's. So Wendy's was founded in 1969 in Columbus, Ohio by Dave Thomas. <laughs> What's funny about that? 69. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. nice. So Thomas had already gotten a foothold in the fast food market when he worked side by side with the Colonel Sanders to make improvements to Kentucky Fried Chicken.
1: Colonel Sanders hated fried chicken.
0: I actually want to do an episode on Colonel Sanders. Can we not <laughs> talk too much about him? Like, I want to talk, I totally want to do an episode on Colonel Sanders. Thank you for your service, Colonel Sanders. It, well, <laughs> yeah.
1: American hero.
0: Yeah, okay, move on War hero. War I can't, hero. You
1: can't bring up Colonel Sanders without me giggling.
0: No, I know. Okay. In 1968, Thomas sold his KFC shares back to the Colonel for $1.5 million, which is the money that he ended up using to found Wendy's. Because of Dave Thomas's work at KFC, he wanted a character like the Colonel to represent his new restaurant. And so he busted into his daughter Wendy's room and said, put your hair in pigtails, honey, because you're going to be a star. And his daughter became the face and namesake of Wendy's to this day. Oh, what was her name? Her name was actually like Melissa or something, but she had like what? a speech impediment. Yeah, she had a speech impediment. She couldn't pronounce her own name, so they basically gave her the nickname of Wendy because it was something she could say. And so <laughs> Wait, it's not no. even like...
1: What? No, hold yeah. up. I have never heard this. Her name's not actually Wendy. Are... No, it's
0: like it was like her nickname because she couldn't say her real name.
1: Oh, Okay.
0: yeah i wasn't gonna include that but you you really just drove me to it well i mean i that's the important news i didn't know that that's that's interesting (laughs) episode over
2: (laughs) i feel like i've seen her in like the recent commercials and it it introduces her as wendy right
0: well yeah but i mean after she got the freaking name and this became a billion dollar business it was like yeah you're you're wendy now (laughs) you're wendy now (laughs) i'm melissa no you're not you're wendy branding well, what's crazy is like she's actually one of the biggest like franchisees of Wendy's. Like, yeah, she has opened a ton. Like, I mean, she's huge in the business, but it's not like it was just like handed to her. Like, she after she got out of college, she like started opening restaurants and stuff. Like, I don't know, it's a, it's a pretty cool story, but that's not what we're talking about.
2: Yeah, she's a she's a business lady. I mean, if I had a restaurant named after me, I'd probably try to open some.
0: Yeah, well, and like she worked there when she was in high school and stuff.
2: That's cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, she she got her bachelor's degree from University of Florida in consumer behaviorism. So obviously, like, she actually, she's not just yeah. writing daddy's money. She obviously knows what she's doing. Yeah, I didn't mention any of that because, like,
0: I don't think she's an I really wish you hadn't character. Like, I think she's earned what she has uh, to a certain extent. You know, I mean, obviously, it's pretty easy whenever you're the daughter of, of a restaurateur. But anyway. So, Wendy Thomas, boss babe. Boss baby.
1: Wait, no. What?
0: Did you say boss baby? Boss lady. You said boss lady. I said boss babe.
1: Boss babe. Boss baby. (laughs) Okay, continue.
0: Okay, but here's what's weird to me about this whole thing, though, is Wendy was his fourth child. So if I was one of his other... Yeah, exactly. If I was one of his other kids, I'd be like, damn, dad, like, try to make it not so obvious which one's your favorite. Like, (laughs) fuck you guys. I like the little one. But anyway, the restaurant went on to become a success and is now, obviously, a nationwide franchise. The controversy came one day in 2005 when Anna Ayala walked into a Wendy's restaurant in San Jose, California. When she sat down to eat, she discovered something which resembled a human finger in her cup of chili. And according to a witness, Ayala began running around the restaurant screaming, Don't eat it! Look, there's a human finger in our chili! Which is kind of ridiculous to me, like, the idea, like, it's, it's people! The windy's Chili is people! <laughs> <laughs> They're feeding us people! But the employees of the store claimed that the object that she had found was just a vegetable. And it wasn't until the health department got involved that it was confirmed to be a human finger.
1: I mean, wait, how do you confuse a human finger with a vegetable?
0: I, I think they were just like, that can't be a finger. I mean, that, it, it can't be a finger. How could it be a finger? <laughs> That's true. It might be, yeah, just straight up denial. As the story started gaining widespread attention, Wendy's sales began dropping, and Wendy's offered a reward for information on the origin of the finger. <laughs> and the finger became this big mystery. Like, where does a finger come from? Like, how does a finger end up in Wendy's
1: chili? I just feel like... I feel like me and her handled that in completely different ways. Like I feel like if I found a finger in my chili, I would just take it back up to the front and be like, uh, yes, sir. Um I believe that there's a finger in my chili. And I want a new one. <laughs> Can I have a refund or something? I don't think I'd be I don't think I'd be like excited enough to like run around to everyone being like, There's people in
2: the chili! The Wendy's chili is people! <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh that's great
2: yeah <laughs> wendy's chili is the burgers from the day before if you guys didn't know that. no it's
0: people colin we've determined it's it's people no it's not people but <laughs> it really people. is when they don't sell the burgers they'll
2: like chop them up and
0: put them in the chili for the next day i think you mean the employees that don't perform right. they chop them up and put them in the chili yes yes and it's delicious and I would like to reaffirm the fact that this is satire, and I am not claiming that Wendy's Chili is people. So where did the finger come from? It was quickly determined that the finger had to be fresh, because if it had been simmering in chili for hours, it wouldn't be an intact finger. Like, it would be pieces. So that meant that it had to have been put in by either an employee or a Yala herself, and... All of the workers had their fingers accounted for. <laughs> Did they check? I'm sure somebody checked. I'm sure
2: every so they had to hold their hands up.
0: Yes, yes, they they counted each
2: one. One, two, three, and be like, "How many fingers? <laughs> Show me your fingers, guys. Line up, boys. And double check everyone." <laughs>
1: Oh, this is my favorite topic that we've covered.
0: So it became obvious that Ayala had put the finger there herself, but she also had all of her fingers accounted for. Mm. So where did she get a finger? Some theorized that she had cut it off her deceased aunt. And I've seen a lot of publications publish this (laughs) like theory. I've not found anyone that has any credence to that idea. Like that, people (laughs) just started running with that. But the truth of the matter is even stranger. Her husband, James, worked for a paving company. And while he was working, a co-worker lost part of his finger in the mechanical truck lift. And according to CBS News, his co-worker traded him the severed finger in exchange for settling a $50 debt. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, 50 bucks for your finger. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Apparently they tried to reattach it and it wasn't feasible. So they just let him have the
1: finger and James was like, hey... You know that fifty bucks you owe me? How about that finger? <laughs> well, I'm disturbed. One, I'm disturbed that you say they let him have the finger. They didn't let him have the finger. It was his own finger. It's his finger. <laughs> like, <laughs> he that's his property. He he owns
0: that finger. That's his. My finger.
1: Two, I want to know how long after the incident it was before her husband asked. Like, do you think that he immediately was like, Ooh, I want that finger. He owes me fifty bucks. Maybe I can get that finger. <laughs> you think like, how do you how do you approach that subject? Hey, can I have that? My thing is, I feel like if I
0: lost my finger and I had the finger, it'd be worth more to me than 50 bucks. I like, could be like, no, I'm putting this thing in a freaking jar, putting it on my yeah. desk. Like, that's my finger. <laughs> I've gone a long way with that finger. <laughs> anyway, the New York Times also reported that Anna had filed at least 13 other civil actions in California and Nevada involving her and her children. So this was a common occurrence for her. Like, she would just find ways to sue people. Oh. And you know what they say, when life gives you a finger, sue Wendy's. So ultimately, both Anna and James were arrested and pled guilty to conspiring to file a false claim and attempted grand theft. Anna was sentenced to nine years in prison, and her husband James was sentenced to 12 years in prison. Which, this whole time has really bothered me. Like... I don't know why Anna only got nine years. Uh, why does he get more time? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's really frustrating to me, but Anna ended up serving, I think, like three or four. Like, it, I and I, I could not find anything else on James. Like, he
1: completely dropped off the radar after this, so. But do you feel like, do you feel like they needed a nine-year sentence? Like, do you feel like they're that big of a menace to society? I feel like 60 days, and no one's allowed to ever believe her again. I mean, you say that, but...
2: <laughs>
0: It seems like they probably did a lot of damage to Wendy's name. Well, we're we're getting okay. there. Okay. I have I have figures. Okay. And sure. and also, yeah, if you can you can do a lot of damage, but when you do damage to a billion dollar company, that's when you get the ban hammer dropped on you like
1: <laughs>
0: the people with the resources, yeah. you don't mess with them. So like I said, Anna was sentenced to 9 years, her husband James was sentenced to 12 years, and they were both subsequently banned from all Wendy's locations for life. <laughs>
1: Oh, and this is before the Baconator came out. Oh, they're missing
0: out. Man. Yeah, so they'll they'll never know oh. the sweet taste of a Baconator. <laughs> the sweet, heart-clogging taste. The sweet, greasy taste of a Baconator. I love Baconators. When you get banned from all
2: Wendy's, you just go through the drive-through like yeah, no exactly. one's done. you could
1: you could probably go sit down at a wendy's they're not gonna know exactly you think they have a list of like six people that they have to memorize like wendy's most banned <laughs> no absolutely not yeah all they do is they count the
0: fingers because they they didn't hear the story right so they're just like no she's got 10 fingers it's she's fine. got 10 fingers she's clearly fine she's good Wait, do I have 10 fingers? I need to double check again. Yes, Wendy's now implements a daily finger check to make sure everybody has the number of fingers that you claim to have. It's every 45 minutes. Right. So anyway, the Seattle Times estimates that this whole ordeal cost Wendy's $21 million in lost business. Mm. But regardless, Wendy's moved past it. They're still doing well. I don't think anybody is now, like, worried about finding a finger in their chili. And while we're on the topic of Wendy's, I don't think we're ever going to do an episode on Wendy's. So there's a couple like things I want to cover about Wendy's while we're here Mm -hmm. today. They're mostly known for their sassy Twitter account where they call out other fast food businesses and uh, basically just roast people on Twitter. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen.
1: It is the best Twitter account ever. Yeah, it was cool till everyone copied it.
0: Yeah, well, Denny's did it first. It was Denny's first and then Wendy's copied it. Really? Oh. Yeah, and honestly, theirs was better. But regardless, what most people don't know is in 2018, Wendy's tweeted a link to a five-song EP performed as if it was coming from the fictional Wendy's Twitter personality. It's called We Beefin', and it's all diss tracks aimed at Burger King and McDonald's. It's on Spotify, and I listen to the whole thing. And I'm not gonna lie, it's bad.
1: I would imagine it's bad
0: but it's honestly way better than I thought it was going to be. Like, I kind of ironically like it. Like, my favorite (laughs) line from one of the songs is, you two chicken for this beef, I'ma leave you resting in grease. Like, it's so ridiculous that it exists at all. Yeah. And while we're on the topic of Wendy's music, and kind of pertaining to what Cayman talked about, have you guys heard Hot Drinks? No. Colin, Hot Drinks? Is this from that EP? No, I haven't heard it. No, it's not. It's, <laughs> it's separate from the EP. It's a 90s training video, which describes in insane detail how to serve a guest a hot beverage. And the best part is the whole thing's in song, and the chorus is amazing. Like, it will get stuck in your head. And Colin, I've I've, I've sent you the chorus. Can we just listen to the chorus? And you should yeah. listen to the whole song yourself. Just search Hot Drinks Wendy's on YouTube. But let's just hit that chorus real quick. Okay, here it is.
1: Hot Drinks <laughs> You go when warm you up when you feel your slow wind. Wendy's, we always serve right away. smile and have a nice
0: day.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, no, that, that's good.
0: Dare I say, yeah. it bumps. It, it does bop. It bops hard. And they also have one for cold drinks, and it's not nearly as good. It's like weird. When it gets to the chorus, this like ominous disembodied voice goes like, don't forget to smile when you're serving <laughs> cold drinks. Like, <laughs> so yeah, check those out on YouTube. Hot drinks, cold drinks, Wendy's training videos. They're awesome. But yeah, that pretty much wraps it up for Wendy's.
1: Okay. Y'all ready to go back to McDonald's? mcdonald's p2
0: yeah do they have an ep did they did they return a
1: diss track to wendy's no mcdonald's is not that cool mcdonald's is like the old man of fast foods yeah no uh, no that's hardy's i would say mcdonald's is like your uncle that doesn't really say a lot your uncle that thinks he's cool
0: and like <laughs> tries to mention like cool hip topics but they're like from five years ago and you're like you're close you're so close yeah but you go over to his house because he has a pool.
1: Right. Right, yeah. He has a ball pit. Right. (laughs) No, (laughs) ball pit's concerning. That's too far. No one should have a ball pit, especially not their own house. That's creepy. So in the 1980s, McDonald's came under heavy scrutiny for its use of beef tallow in preparing its fries. What is beef tallow? Beef tallow is like, um, I'm pretty sure it's like the bones, like the, the stuff inside the bones. Marrow? No, not marrow. It's tallow. Uh, oh, God, let me look it up. You didn't even look this up? <laughs> what were they putting in the fries, Gaiman? Well, I've, I've heard beef tallow so many times. It's just like the fatty, the fatty stuff. I don't, have you never used beef tallow to cook anything? Is there fat in bones? No, I've never heard of that. So tallow is rendered form of beef or mutton fat that is primarily made up of triglycerides. Does that help? I still don't. Nope, not at all. But let's just let's move on. So it's just it's just fat from a cow. Fat from a cow. Okay, fat, beef fat. Beef fat, yeah. So National Heart Savers Association ran a nationwide newspaper advertising campaign attacking McDonald's and other fast food chains for the heavy saturated fat content of their foods. Because of the damage to their national image, McDonald's switched to 100% vegetable oil in 1990. Now, some people say that the fries haven't tasted as good since, But if you're like me and you grew up in the post-Tallow McDonald's fries world, who cares? I I, I don't know. I don't think that any fries are amazing enough for me to get upset about them. But at the very least, you know, at this specific instance, good on McDonald's for caring about the health of their customers. You know, that is a good thing. Come on, they didn't care about that. They got upset about the outrage. They got upset about the outrage, but they had been researching it for a while, supposedly. And, you know, regardless of the motivation, it's good to worry about people's health. So what's not good, however, is the lawsuit that McDonald's faced over these French fries. See, in 2006, Seattle attorney Harris Bahardi filed a class action lawsuit against McDonald's on behalf of all vegetarians, citing an email from the company to a California man acknowledging its supplier's use of tiny amounts of beef flavoring to flavor its fries. Now, this use of beef flavoring, which of course was made from beef extract, contradicts previous claims McDonald's has made assuring customers it uses 100% vegetable oil for its fries and of course this is a big deal to Bahardi and a lot of other people because if you're like him and you follow the Hindu faith then you're not supposed to eat cow (laughs) yeah and I mean like he had he would like take his kids to McDonald's and stuff and they'd eat fries and all that sort of stuff okay but again I'm not gonna attack anybody's faith but
0: if you believe that cows are like sacred and you shouldn't eat them and whatever else, why would you support McDonald's? Like, that's like, <laughs> I don't know. If the Church of Satan was selling donuts and you're like, I mean, I'm a Christian. I don't support Satan, but they're good
1: donuts. But I like donuts. <laughs> I love donuts. I, you know what? I I feel like that's how it should be. If the Church of Satan has some bumping donuts, <laughs> who cares? It's not, it's not on you. It's not your fault. You just, you love a good donut. You love a good jelly filled. I also think the way that it seems, because I had to do a little, and I mean, like light skimming the topic because I'm not learning a whole new religion for this podcast, but uh, I learned a little bit about the Hindu faith and it seems like they're kind of, they're like fine if you do it, but they're not going to do it. It's like, that seems like the, the outlook that they have, like they don't try and get other people to not eat cows. So at least most, most of what I saw yeah. d- doesn't indicate that. I feel like if you're going
0: to flavor your fries with something and you're a hamburger restaurant, why would you want your fries to also taste like beef? Like that's kind of just adding more on top of it. Yeah. But beef, beef is delicious. Beef is delicious. Is you're delicious. right.
1: Well, the thing is they're trying to, McDonald's has always been trying to get back to that original flavor. They want to get back to that beef tallow flavor because people love the taste of fat. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's great. So, they're trying to, like, imitate that fatty, beefy flavor and doing it healthily, doing it with no cholesterol. Fair. Regardless. Uh, McDonald's defended themselves in court by saying that they were not required by law to list it as an ingredient. Instead, beef flavoring falls under the term natural flavors. They also claimed that they couldn't be at fault since they never claimed that their fries were vegetarian friendly. But you're saying that it's potatoes baked in vegetable oil. 100% vegetable oil. But did they say 100% potatoes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Man's got a point. I mean, come on. So to settle the lawsuit, McDonald's eventually agreed to donate $10 million to Hindu and other vegetarian groups, things like that. And that that seemed to be good. That pushed everything, for the most part, under the rug. Hmm. Did they stop doing it? No. Really? I don't think so. I looked it up and... The the most recent thing that I saw was, like, a few years after this happened, and it said that they were still doing it. Did you do any investigative journalism
0: on that? No. Did you taste the fries and see if they tasted like beef?
1: No, I'm not. I'm actually not that big a fan of McDonald's fries. I think they're, like, some of the worst ones. I don't like them either. Yeah. I'm not either. Everybody's all about them, and I'm like, they're not that good. Arby's.
0: I hate Arby's. I do like their fries, but I hate Arby's. My favorites are Wendy's. Wendy's fries are good. The sea
2: salt fries. Because they're like natural cut. I'm putting quotes, natural yeah. cut and sea salt. Oh, oh they're naturally cut. <laughs> they're just not natural. <laughs> I like them the best. I think they taste the most like an actual potato.
1: What does that mean? What does natural
2: cut mean? It means they still leave the skin on them. I don't know. It's like, it's like when people say like hand spun milkshake, right? I don't want my milkshake hand-spun, okay? I want a machine to do it.
1: Yeah, a machine's gonna do a better job.
2: Exactly. Or hand-spun wings. Like, hand-spun wings means the sauce isn't even. That's what that
1: means. Okay, how do you machine-spin wings? How do you machine-spin wings? Some sort of mixer?
2: I don't know. Well, why do places say hand-spun? Why is that an option? Like, why is that a selling point? No, 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 no. We're not, hold on. I think we're talking about,
1: like, the breading, right? No, we're talking about the sauce. I'm pretty sure it's the sauce. It's the sauce. It would have to be the breading. I'm pretty sure it's the sauce. No, it's the sauce. It's the sauce. And I think that's just to say, like, they're hand spun because, like, we're not just dunking them all in sauce and scooping them back out. I think I'd rather them be dunked. Well, that's the thing. If you ever go to a wing place, and this is for all of our listeners, this is great advice. If you ever go to a wing place and you get parts of the wing that aren't saucy, it's because they're skimping on the sauce. In which case, you, that's probably not a great wing place. Find a new wing place. Are are you done
0: with uh, beef beef fries? I'm done with beef fries. All <laughs> right. Well, came in great conversation about beef fries. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about Jack in the Box. Who needs transitions? There's segways. Segway is probably better. Yeah, segways transitions. Jack in the Box was founded in 1951 in San Diego, California, by Robert Peterson. Fun fact, according to the LA Times, Robert Peterson was on the enemies list of President Richard Nixon. Apparently, Richard Nixon kept a physical list of his enemies. Richard Nixon had a shit list? He had, a, he had a, an enemies list that he had his administration like keep track of. And he hated Robert Peterson because of his fundraising efforts on behalf of Democratic candidates like George McGovern. Hmm. And Robert Peterson was a registered Republican. But like I said, he founded Jack in the Box in California. So I have to imagine that he just kept up with California politics. And like we mentioned in Richard Nixon, Richard Nixon was a big California politician. So I have to imagine he just hated Richard Nixon personally. So like as a registered Republican, he would just fund anybody that was running against Nixon. Yeah. Up up to the national level. So fun fact, uh, I feel like Richard Nixon is just going to follow us throughout this entire podcast, but I had to mention it.
1: That's yeah, fine. I mean, he's, like, the original, like... The OG. Yeah. But anyway, what made Jack in the
0: Box special was it was the first restaurant in the continental United States to implement a two-way intercom into its drive through And since this is a new concept... They put their clown mascot, Jack, on top of the intercom, and the idea was that you would tell your order to Jack. And they kept their clown on the intercoms until 1980, when they discontinued the mascot in an attempt to appeal to a more mature audience. And I'm sure the fact that clowns are super creepy and nobody wants to look at them also had a little bit of something to do with it. And they didn't just quietly sweep Jack under the rug. They made commercials where they literally used explosives to blow the mascot off of their restaurants. Hmm. Yeah, they're they're pretty funny. You can see them on YouTube. And over the years, Jack in the Box has seen decent success. Like, it's not really a staple of the industry, I wouldn't say. Like, have, have you all ever eaten there?
1: Uh, we have some near where I live,
0: but I never go because I hear it makes you poop your pants. Have you ever eaten at Jack in the Box? Like, ever?
2: I don't think, no. It's been a long time, but I've eaten there at least once, for sure.
1: I mean, I guess I could. I know for a fact I've never eaten there. Well, it's more of like an up north thing. But speaking of them getting rid of the clown, it got me thinking, well, like, McDonald's still has Ronnie, right? They still have Ronald McDonald. Yeah.
2: I mean, I think his statue is still on the, like, benches in the playground. I
1: don't think I've, like, seen Ronald McDonald in a lot. They've time, definitely
0: though. distanced themselves from Ronald. Well the whole crew too like
1: Yeah. They just like quietly took him out back and shot him in the back of the head or something. Yeah.
0: Well yeah, and Colin you were saying like I mean Mayor McCheese got Grimace and yeah, yeah, all of them are gone. Well Grimace stayed around for longer. It was like Mayor McCheese got the first cut. Then it was that bird thing. Then it was Grimace and now it's McDonald. Like I mean they've all Well you you forgot about the Hamburglar.
1: Oh, the uh, Hamburglar.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's right. He was he was he was right before the bird thing.
1: I would say that Ronnie, the Hamburglar, and Grimace were the like big three. I don't th- no. I think the Hamburglar got the cut before the bird.
0: You guys remember the bird, right? No,
1: Hamburglar was definitely more popular. I
0: feel like by the time we were kids,
1: Hamburglar was like kind of a kind of a side character. Right into the episode, tell us how you remember the mascots. Rank them in order of importance because I put Hamburglar.
0: They can't. They can't ride into the episode, Cayman. They've got to write into the podcast.
1: Well email us
0: here's the thing is the area there's a new development
2: area around here where when the mcdonald's opened they had the grim the grimace is the purple guy right
0: they had the grimace out there on the street yeah he's not the grimace he's just grimace his name is Grimace. grimace
2: they had grimace out there dancing okay
1: but that wasn't that long ago that was within the last three years But McDonald's is franchisee, so that suit could have been sitting around with the same franchise for like 30 years and they just haven't gotten rid of it. That doesn't really mean anything.
0: That's true, but I'm just saying... Well, I can tell you guys I've never eaten at a Jack in the Box ever in my life. Right. And the reason for that is, and I know I did this in the last episode, but I want to share a quick personal story. When I was a kid, I was on vacation at the beach and I saw a Jack in the Box. And my mom told me, don't ever eat there a little boy ate there once and he died and to this day i haven't eaten there and i think it might be like a
1: deep-seated like anxiety that i have you know i've always heard like never eat a jack-in-the-box because it'll make you sick and i never thought that there was like that's what you're about to talk about isn't it yeah i didn't realize that i thought it was just like pork quality or something okay yeah No, well yeah i mean this is i'm gonna be learning with you audience this is fun there you go.
0: And, like, I, I had never, like, looked into this. I, I just trusted my mom. I was like, whatever she said, right. I don't want to die. I'm not eating the <laughs> jack-in-the-box. No. So I did some investigative research, and here's what I found. Okay, Cayman, I love that you use this as one of your, like, transitions, because I'm also going to use it. Yeah. Imagine this. It's
2: 1993.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, one year after 92. We've come a long way. You've just got done watching a new episode of Seinfeld. <laughs> And a Jack-in-the-Box commercial comes on. They're running a discount on their Monster Burger with the tagline, So good, it's scary. And you would have every right to be scared, because that burger is chock full of E. coli. (laughs) E. coli. (laughs) So, you see, at this time in 1993, the FDA is only recommending that you should cook burgers at 140 degrees. And E. coli can survive at temperatures up to 155 degrees. Uh, An internal temperature, I'm sorry. Like, the internal temperature of the burger should be 140 degrees. Yeah, Today, it's 165. Yeah. Well, yeah, so they were cooking them to 140 at the
1: time. Weird that it was 140.
0: Yeah. So, like I said, E. coli can survive up to 155. Mm Mm-hmm. And... Burgers were shipped all across the west coast of the United States that had been contaminated with E. coli, which is a bacteria that lives in poop. Basically, cow poop was mixed in with the meat that had E. coli in it. And the worst part was Washington State, which was the state that saw the worst infection rate, had actually already implemented a state requirement that burgers had to be cooked to 155 degrees. So Jack in the Box was not paying attention to the state regulation and serving burgers at 140 degrees infected with E. coli.
1: Well, here's the thing. I also want to rewind a second because you talked about poop getting mixed in with the meat. And yeah. I feel like that that sounds bad. Like that it sounds like it shouldn't happen. As someone who's, you know, dressed a few animals or, you know, skinned a few animals, got the meat off of them. The internal organs hold poop in them. They have poopy. Wait, So, what? like, like you know, like the large intestine stuff like that. It's it's kind of... They got poopy It's common. You should assume that your meat, especially if it's ground meat, probably has a little bit of poopy mix in with it. And you should cook it hot. Like, this isn't a rare occurrence. It's not like, oh, it got poop in it. That's disgusting. Nah, not really. That happens a lot. It's kind of the reality of the subject. Well, this is why with ground beef, it's
2: always well done, because a lot of times you'll end up with, there's, there's, it's just a lot more risky with ground beef. Yeah,
1: Yeah, and that's not to say to, like, be afraid of, like, ground meats. You just have to be smart about ground meats. Right. Right. Cook it, cook, cook it thoroughly.
0: Yeah. But anyway, it wasn't until a pediatric gastroenterologist reported a wave of sickness to the Washington Department of Health that anyone knew that anything was wrong. And E. coli is not a minor sickness. Like, it ends up attacking your kidneys to the point where the worst cases require the patient to be on dialysis, sometimes for the rest of their life. And E. coli can spread from infected people to healthy people. So, just avoiding infected meat isn't going to mean that you're safe. Like, if you come into contact with someone with E. coli and they've, you know, handled anything, like, there's a very good chance that it can transmit person to person. In total, 708 people were infected, 171 were hospitalized and 30 were diagnosed with hemolytic uremic syndrome. I think I'm saying that right. I'm not a doctor. Meaning that they had to be on dialysis for the rest of their life. Right. Basically. Yeah. Well, they, they at least had to be on. It attacked their kidneys. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a serious condition and four children ended up dying. All of them under the age of 10
1: Ooh.
0: and this became national news. Yeah. In fact, President Bill Clinton made it one of his administration's top priorities to get a handle on food safety. Needless to say, Jack in the Box was not in a good place. Their stock price was free-falling, and at one point the SEC had to put a temporary hold on trading their shares. As a result, Jack in the Box did start cooking their meat at a higher temperature, and hired one of the top food safety strategists in the country to make sure this would never happen again. However, I can't find a single time that they apologized. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but if it did, it's been lost to time. Like, I could not find it. Instead, they tried to make everyone forget about it by hiring a PR firm called Secret Weapon. And I feel like that's just so on the nose. (laughs) Like, they hate us, pull out the Secret Weapon. And Secret Weapon started a marketing campaign where they brought back the clown mascot from 1980. And I have to say, like, as scummy as it was to try to distract from the real issue, I watched a full 10 minutes of the commercials that they produced for Jack in the Box, and they're pretty funny. Like, I recommend checking them out on YouTube. They were very ahead of their time. Like, it feels like modern marketing, like the birth of modern marketing, where, like, it's more about creating entertainment than it is about creating a commercial. But still, that doesn't make up for the fact that it's it's not right. Like, they, they should have put more effort into making things right than try to distract
1: it's not right but it's 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 a corporation right you know what are you gonna do exactly like i I bet that those kids families are taken care of for a while which doesn't bring your kid back but you have to move on and you're a business and you want to keep making money or you know businesses make money it's not just one person there Mm. Eh, you know yeah it it doesn't sound great but it's just the harsh reality if yeah you know how businesses work gotta move past it yeah it sucks but I do think that it put a major like
0: inhibitor on Jack in the Box. Like, there's a reason that none of us have eaten there, and like, there's no uh, one
1: within two hours of me. So, well, to be honest, I've just always heard it makes you poop your pants, and that's from people like who have eaten it recently. I can... Exactly. I mean, I mean, it's
0: none of us were alive whenever this happened, and yet all of us kind of have gotten the secondhand knowledge <laughs> of it. Like, it. Yeah. I do think that it 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 is the major turning point in the life cycle of Jack in the Box. Maybe I need to go try it. I've honestly, I was thinking about it. In researching this, I was like, maybe I do need to check it out. So I did my field research at McDonald's. Why didn't you do your field research, at Jack in the Box? Well, I didn't want to drive two hours. That's why. <laughs> oh um, yeah, that's fair. I don't want my theme bud. <laughs> oh, I thought about, I thought about mentioning it, and us like, well, we had stuff going on yesterday, but yeah, bye. So today, Jack in the Box is valued at one point five billion dollars, and they did end up discontinuing the Monster Burger but you can still get
1: monster tacos. Just make sure that you ask for them to be cooked well done. Well, there we go. Actually, I have, I've wanted to call this EndNote, but it's kind of big enough that it might count as one of its own. Okay, yeah, just go for it. So I, you know, I'm I'm just going to go ahead and read this off. We can call it EndNote if we want, but. So Taco Bell Mystery Meat. Y'all remember that one? Yeah.
0: Yeah, so. uh Kind of. I mean, I've always heard that there's not a whole lot of meat in Taco Bell Meat. Let me tell you why that's bullshit really
1: all right so in january 2011 an alabama-based firm filed a suit against taco bell claiming that they didn't have enough beef in their beef to call it beef you catch that yeah yeah i gotcha so they retracted their suit that following april according to them after taco bell changed its marketing practices and quotations and disclosed more information about the beef product Taco Bell, however, claimed that the allegations were absolutely wrong from the start. They didn't make any changes to their product or advertising and no money changed hands to end the lawsuit. So in essence, it seems like the entire lawsuit was crap from the get go. But in order to be transparent, Taco Bell went ahead and released everything that's in their beef. So let's dive a little bit deeper into Taco Bell's mystery meat really quickly. I want to say
2: just with court cases, you know, January to April sounds like a lot of time. But with court cases, that is not a lot of time. Yeah, it takes forever, whatever, four months.
1: But it is not as far as a court case is concerned. That is not a lot. No, of time Yeah, that's time. like it just got started and then it was immediately shut down. Right. So I don't think I mean, they didn't really present any proof that Taco Bell changed its marketing. I don't think that there was. I just think that that Alabama company was wrong. And then just immediately shut down its case. But regardless, like I said, let's dive deeper into what Taco Bell calls, you know, or Taco Bell said about their meat. So the Taco Bell beef mixture in their products is about 88% beef. Now the other 12% is comprised of the following very common ingredients that are in a lot of meat mixtures. You have maltodextrin, which is a form of mild sweet sugar that we use to balance the flavor and a lot of meats. It's commonly found in like natural sodas that you would get at Whole Foods, stuff like that. Torula yeast, which gives seasoned beef more of a savory taste. Corn starch, which is used as a thickener to maintain moisture in seasoned beef. Soy lecithin, which binds substances that would otherwise separate like oil and water. It's common in chocolate bars, salad dressings. Sodium phosphates, which help make sure seasoned beef is the right texture. It's found in cheeses, coffee drinks, deli items, desserts, all sorts of things. Lactic acid, which is in everything, like almost all living things. And it's only a very small amount to get the acidity in the beef the right flavor. Uh, Caramel color and cocoa powder, which food coloring is in a lot of things. And trehalos, which is a naturally occurring sugar that is used to improve the taste of seasoned beef. So these are very common ingredients. And a lot of them, honestly, it's kind of like that preservative stuff. Like your meat's going to turn gray if it gets old. It's got food coloring in it. It's going to be the same anywhere else that you go and you get that ground beef, honestly, unless you're buying it like super, super fresh. And, you know, things to hold it together to keep the fat and the water from separating. That's just going to make it taste better. Regardless, you know, yeah, it's not 100% beef all the way. But these things are really no different than a lot of seasonings a lot of preservatives so i don't i don't see what the big deal is so my my point is taco bell meat is real meat and i know that this may be a double standard considering how i talked about like mcdonald's not revealing like all their ingredients even though taco bell did reveal their ingredients so it's kind of a double standard but the point that you're getting taco bell do you really care (laughs) like i mean (laughs) When I think of Taco Bell, I just think about stoned college kids at 3 a.m. Going because it's the only place it's open. They're going to get like $10 worth of food and it's going to be enough to like fill the back of a truck. So, I mean, I don't know. Alabama-based law firm whose name I did not disclose because I didn't feel it was appropriate. Well, let's just leave Taco Bell alone. I really wish you hadn't done that. You know, kind of a dick move. Leave them alone. Leave Taco Bell alone. Leave Taco Bell alone. Leave them alone. All right,
0: well, um, thanks, Kamen, for that not-a-topic. That was kind of a topic. It was kind of a topic, yeah. It was supposed to be a side note, and then I talked too long about it. Let's move into afterthoughts, officially. I found out during this episode that I'm a complete sucker for fast food marketing. I found two things that I loved. Uh, We Beef and Bops, and so does uh, Jack in the Box's Hey, We're Sorry We Killed Kids commercials. (laughs) But not actually sorry. We're not actually going to say it. We're not actually sorry, but hey, forget that we killed kids commercials. <laughs> Great. If you're wondering what happened to Anna Ayala after she got out of prison for putting a finger in some chili, she filed a false police report in 2012. Basically, her son was on parole and he shot himself in the ankle and he wasn't supposed to have a gun. So when they went, she said that some somebody else shot him in the ankle and she filed a police report and she lied about it. She seems like a winner. Yeah, she was sentenced to another two years in prison, so she did not learn her lesson about lying. Anyway. Last year, Wendy's came out with a tabletop role-playing game called Feast of Legends, The Fight Against Frozen Beef. Well, I know what we're doing tonight. And it's, no, like, it's surprisingly well thought out. Like, they put a lot of effort into it. Like, they've got a PDF of the rulebook and, like, some some campaign hooks, and it's over 100 pages. And I want to play it. Like, they've got their own classes. They've got their own story. Like, they've got Wendy, like, the Wendy of the logo, like, dolled up in, like, paladin armor and stuff. It it looks pretty good. Yeah. There was a whole controversy where some YouTubers played it, and they got called out for, like, being Wendy's, like, propagandists. But that's neither here nor there. I would love to do it. Maybe
1: we could do a bonus episode of us like playing through one of the one of the campaigns, but Oh yeah, no, that's that sounds like a blast. I'd be all done for that. We will take the bullet for you listeners. And if it's just straight up propaganda, then we'll try and say it. Oh, it is. It's total propaganda, but like I mentioned earlier, I'm apparently a complete sucker for this stuff. I mean, propaganda's good as long as it's fun. I don't mind fun propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> I agree fun propaganda
2: best propaganda
0: put it up print it on a shirt came in propaganda's fine as long as it's
1: fun <laughs> oh that's fun see like uh, your propaganda is like oh yeah buy our burgers and play this complex game that we made for you that's fun propaganda that's 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 a good time I like that propaganda like you have to be a Nazi and the Jews are destroying Germany that's less fun propaganda and I don't really like that there's two different kinds <laughs> So, Cayman has just set up the
0: scale of propaganda from from D&D Wendy's to Nazis.
2: Well, he's making a clear distinction here, okay? There's two categories. D&D Wendy's,
0: okay. Nazis,
2: not okay. Not
0: okay, yeah. We don't like that at all. And in the middle is "Jack in- the- Box," "We're sorry we killed kids." <laughs> We're sorry. No, no, the "Forget we killed kids." I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forget we killed kids." <laughs> that one might be a middle ground. That's
1: a middle ground. That's halfway between Nazis and D & D Wendy's. I, I think it's I think it's more, I think it's more on the Nazi side. Probably more. On we'll create an entire scale. <laughs> it's close. It's debatable.
0: All right, Cayman, you want to f- tell the listeners where they can find us?
1: Yes. So thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at IRWYH podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at I Really Wish You Hadn't. And if you have any ideas for more episodes, anything that you want to ask us, anything that you want us to touch on, shoot us an email at podcast at I really Wish you Hadn't dot com. Literally anything. Literally anything. You can say anything
2: you want. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is, and it goes to all three of us. Yep. Just send us an email. And we occasionally check it, so there's a good chance we'll see it. Well, no, I check it every day. I know you say occasionally. Nerd. I regularly check it. Nerd. And we will be excited to address your email in an upcoming bonus episode. So please send us an email.
1: Housekeeping. Also, if you guys haven't realized, we're we're planning on doing, and we've only done one housekeeping episode We're going to try and do them every five episodes just so we have enough content. If you guys want them more regular, if you don't want them as much, just eat them, get them out of here. Let us know. Once again, email us. Uh, We'd be happy to hear uh, any questions, concerns, comments you have. If you want to send us
0: an email telling us how Jack in the Box tastes because none of us have ever tried it. You can also do that. I'm tasting it by the next housekeeping. All right. Came is going to do a Jack in the Box review. I really wish you hadn't. Is hosted by me, Michael Bentley, and Cayman Magnahan. We are produced by Colin Moore. Our intro and outro music is by Attack Story. Our cover art is by Nickator. Please remember to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, please serve your coffee at a reasonable temperature, and as always, don't do anything I wouldn't do.